Good morning. It is great to be back in the pulpit at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is keep a record of all the messages I've preached at every location that I've been so that I get invited back. I don't repeat myself and people say, oh, he preached that last time he was here. So I went through the list of all the times I preached here at Calvary uh, under Pastor McLaughlin and then our current pastor, and it shocked me how many opportunities I've had to stand in this pulpit. It was dozens uh, over the years. And so uh, I had to pray about what the Lord would have me to share. The Lord brought me to the theme text that you were uh, presenting on compassion, and uh, I'd never preached this in a missions conference, so I worked on some things. And so this is kind of new territory uh, for even me and you today as we share this wonderful text. So go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 6, if you would, please. Now, while you're turning, uh, many folks have greeted us and asked us how things are going, and I just want to say up front that uh, God has been answering your prayers for us. Uh, this fall has been the busiest fall in our ministry since we came with Baptist World Mission 15 years ago. And that is really either one of two things. It is either God putting his hand of blessing upon our new ministry or it's people having compassion on us and inviting us in. I'm not sure exactly which one motivates, but God has been blessing. And we've had some great conferences. Uh, we have a good schedule for next year. I just booked another meeting yesterday and uh, booked into 2025 already, some meetings there. So, so the Lord is answering your prayers for us having open doors of opportunity. One of the things I think that has surprised me, you know, our ministry, the new ministry, is to uh, be on the road for Baptist World doing conferences. It's also to target, uh, in the summertime, Colorado uh, to represent BWM because Dr. Ed Nelson is with the Lord now and, and we don't have a rep in that part of the world. Uh, and, but the other thing that has been one of our goals is to encourage churches about their missions philosophy. And it's been quite amazing with pastors, when I bring up the subject, they'll say something like, well, we really don't have a written missions philosophy, and maybe you could help us with some things like that. So I've been giving them lots of literature. I've been uh, encouraging them to uh, talk to Dr. Brosnan, who wrote a wonderful dissertation uh, on the subject of missionary support. I've been giving them Dr. Sinclair's book. I've given out or, or encouraged them to go to Amazon and buy a bunch of those. And so God really is, is allowing our new ministry to resonate with folks. And so keep praying for the Stedmans. We're very excited. Now, we have moved to South Carolina, and uh, that means a number of things. Number one, we have a new prayer bookmark. Uh, we decided to do a bookmark because some people still read real books. And if you read real books, then pick up a bookmark and pray for the Stedmans. If not, you can put it on your refrigerator and treat it like a prayer card. Uh, but if you would do that. Uh, but we moved to South Carolina, and uh, we've lived there now seven months uh, since we left here, and some of you helped us load. And it's hard to believe it's been that long already, but uh, we've only been there a few Sundays. As a matter of fact, we've been on the road so much that it took us until the end of August to have an opportunity to join Grace Baptist Church there in West Columbia. So now we're members there, and they're our new sending church, and we're excited about that. So uh, you pray for us. We will be home very little between now and mid-December, uh, so pray for our ministry on the road. Now, as a point, I really want to emphasize this because Pastor did, 
you have heard speaking this morning in Swahili, and you have heard speaking in Korean. The entire message this morning will be preached in Tennessean. So I hope that you can understand that. I know that Brother Matt will, will be able to understand and, and a few others, but if you're from Alabama and don't understand Tennessean, uh, then maybe you can ask the person next to you, what did he say? And they'll be glad to help you through the sermon this morning. Mark chapter 6, let's pray as we look this morning at what Jesus saw and what he gave. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would take your word now and open it to our hearts. Father, help us to have understanding of this very important theme called compassion. Lord, help us to have that in our heart as the Lord Jesus does even today. We pray in his lovely name. Amen. I'm sure many of you are aware that in the early part of the 20th century, a great battle arose in the United States between religious liberalism, which is called modernism, and fundamentalism, really the birthing of fundamentalism. Uh, the fundamentalists were those who believed and obeyed the Word of God. And there were, there were a lot of theological areas where that debate took place. But one primary area of debate, and it really bled over into the debate on new evangelicalism, centered around the question of the Christian's involvement in social issues. Modernistic unbelief repudiated the scriptures and made social involvement into a new social gospel. It became their gospel. Now, the social gospel is a heresy that persists today, and it presents God's primary purpose as being the meeting of man's temporal needs. So those who believe in the social gospel preach social justice. They preach feeding the hungry. They cl preach clothing the naked. That is their gospel. It is a social gospel. But the biblical gospel stands in contradiction to that false teaching. It presents God's primary purpose, rightly so, as the meeting of man's eternal needs through the person and work of Jesus Christ for God's eternal glory. And folks, there is a radical difference today in our society and in churches between the social gospel and the biblical gospel. While fundamentalists have rightly stood against the social gospel for the past 100 years, there has always been a tension in the fundamentalist movement over how much involvement we are to have in things like feeding the hungry. That's been a tension. That's been a debate. A lot of God's people get really excited when a missionary talks about a social program on the field, and unfortunately, sometimes they don't get quite as excited about the spiritual emphasis. That tension is reflected in a very interesting and rather humorous story from my wife and I being in Haiti. About 10 years ago, we went to Haiti to visit all of our missionaries there, and we were with Rodney and Kathy Fitzsimmons. Now, they were wonderful Baptist missionaries, uh, Baptist world missionaries in Haiti for many, many years. They've had to come off the field because of Kathy having multiple heat strokes. Uh, Rodney still makes trips to Haiti and works uh, with a sister agency in doing some construction of the national churches. They did a great work in Haiti for 25 years. Ruth and I were with them, and we were in the back seat, and we were going to a public school where Rodney and Kathy did Bible clubs, and I was going to have the privilege of speaking in that public school. So we're driving. Ruth and I are in the back seat. Rodney and Kathy are up front, and we're looking at them, and Rodney says, uh, Kathy, what's in the bag in the back seat? 
And she said, <coughs> peanut butter sandwiches. And Roddy said, now, Kathy, you know I told you we don't feed the kids at the school. There is too much uh, social work being done, and, and we don't want to make these children into rice Christians. We don't want them to make a profession because we give them a peanut butter sandwich. Kathy, you know I've talked to you about that. And Kathy said, but Rodney, they're hungry, and they need a peanut butter sandwich. Ruth and I were sitting back there chuckling because we have heard other missionaries struggle with that same issue. We have got to find a biblical balance, as Christ gives us in the Scripture, but how do we arrive at that biblical balance? We arrive at that balance by understanding the compassion of our Lord coupled with an understanding of what He saw and what He gave. Can I emphasize the title again? We need to understand what He saw and what He gave because that really is the answer to biblical compassion. Now you understand there are four Gospels and each Gospel has a different uh, target audience. Each gospel has a different author. Each gospel has a different theme. Mark's gospel is targeting a group of people to whom he wanted to proclaim that Christ came as the suffering servant. That's his theme. And the theme verse is Mark 10, 45, where it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve, and he came to meet human needs. Thus he had compassion. As we come to our text in Mark 6, the Lord Jesus had sent the disciples out and he had given them the power of the Spirit to uh, do great miracles. They were casting out demons. They were healing the sick. And they came back at the end of verse 13 and reported uh, to Christ excitedly everything that uh, the Lord had done through them. And so we come down to Mark chapter 6, verse 31, and we pick up the context. Well, let's go back to verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had the disciples had not leisure so much to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many, many knew them, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them and came together unto them. And Jesus, when he was come out of the boat, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Now, the social gospel would say that Jesus saw the hungry and he was moved with compassion over their hunger. We're actually going to have a record where Jesus is going to feed 5,000 plus women and children. An amazing story. The social gospel people would say, well, Jesus saw their, their, their nakedness and he wanted to clothe them. And Jesus saw their physical diseases and he wanted to heal them. That's what Jesus saw. But notice what our text clearly teaches. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This text clearly links compassion 
to the primary need for which Christ came, which was to give them the gospel and to become their shepherd so that they would not be sheep without a shepherd. Now, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the healing of the sick, those were secondary issues that flowed out of his compassion, but Christ's compassion was primarily a spiritual compassion to meet the needs of the souls of men for eternity. And that is a tension that we struggle with, and we need to be biblical in understanding what Christ saw and what Christ gave. This was a busy time. The disciples had come together. They didn't even have time to eat. But look again at verse 34. And Jesus was moved with compassion, but then we're going to find out later that uh, when the day, verse 35, was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the vill villages. So get the context. Jesus lifts up his eyes. He sees the people as sheep having no shepherd, and his soul is moved with compassion for their lostness. And the disciples come to him and say, Lord, we see all these people, and we are worn out. Lord, we are having compassion on ourselves. We need rest. We need some R&R. &R. It is not convenient for us to feed these. Let's just send them all away into the villages so they can get food. And Jesus said, no, you give them to eat. So what a contrast here in this passage between our Lord who saw the multitudes with all of their baggage, with all of their problems, with all of their filth, and he was moved with compassion toward them. The disciples saw the multitudes, and they thought, these people are a real big inconvenience to me. How different they are from our Lord. In the book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, the author writes concerning Christ's compassion, and he relates it to this text. Let me quote, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the eyes of the blind, the skin of the person with leprosy, and the legs of the cripple. I've sometimes wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people he healed, many of whom must have been unattractive, listen to what the author says, many of whom must have been unattractive, obviously diseased, unsanitary, smelly, with his power, he easily could have waved a magic wand, but he chose not to. Jesus' mission was not chiefly a crusade against disease, but rather a ministry to individual people, end of quote. Jesus had compassion on people who were unattractive, diseased, unsanitary, and smelly. And if you and I saw them in the homeless community, around where we live, we would be repulsed. And we would think what an inconvenience those people are to us. So we need to understand what Jesus saw and what he gave. Now, why was Jesus able to have compassion over people that were obviously, personally repulsive to most decent people? Well, I think it's kind of like what happens when you take a photograph. Do you, have you ever noticed that sometimes you, you take a photograph and you think in your mind's eye, this is going to be one of those frameable photographs of the beautiful mountains and the stream 
and the trees, and it's absolutely gorgeous. But then you get the picture back. You get it printed, maybe an 8 by 10 or a, or a 16 by 20, and you're going to frame it, and you look, and there's trash in the ditch. Or you didn't notice the light pole and the wires, or those cars in the background. You think, I can't put this on my wall. Uh, I didn't notice those things. Why does that happen? Those who understand photography say that the eye filters out that which is unattractive, but the camera never does. So let me ask you, when you see people, do you see them with the eyes of Jesus that filters out all of the unattractive things? Or do you see them like through a camera lens and you see all of their warts and all of their disease and all of their filth and you're repulsed rather than having compassion. Now, I, I want to tell you, and I'm going to emphasize it again at the end of the service, I was moved by those slide presentations in Sunday school. You see those beautiful little Kenyan kids, kids, and are your hearts not moved toward them? And sometimes we romanticize missions, and we make the mission field and the people on the mission field these beautiful, wonderful people that were just so attractive to us, and that's part of the appeal. Until you go to those places and you smell the smells, and you see the filth, and you see families who the kids have no idea who their dad is, and you see little babies running around with dirty bottoms and nothing else on, and it kind of removes some of the glamour from the mission field. But Jesus saw that kind of a setting. And even though he saw the filth and the vileness of humanity and all of its lostness, his heart was stirred with compassion because he saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. And he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to be their shepherd. So do you see people through the eyes of Jesus that filters out all the filth of humanity and loves them anyway, or are you repulsed when you see the debauchery of lost souls for whom Jesus died? What did Jesus see and what he gave? So three things this morning in our text, and I'm going to move that up here so I, I don't go past the time that pastor has given me. Number one, I want you to see there are three movements in this text that really are the illustration of, of Christ and the contrast between Christ and the disciples, whether or not they have compassion, and certainly he does. Number one, in seeing man's hunger, he gave his provision. Look at verse 35 uh, verse thir through 38. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them eat? Folks, 200 penny worth of bread was the salary of a common laborer for eight months, a vast amount of money. He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to sit down by companies upon the green grass, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed, and brake the loaves, and gave them to his disciples, and set them before them. 
And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. When Jesus saw their hunger, he gave his provision. Now the ministry of the disciples here is very interesting. They did not at all see the lost people around them as sheep having no shepherd. They saw them rather as a burden. And they failed to understand what Christ did, that the issue was not just their physical hunger, the issue was their spiritual hunger, because Jesus began this ministry not by feeding, but by teaching them the gospel. Did you know the number one verb in the gospels that our Lord Uh, was linked to the action verb. The number one action verb in the life of our Savior was not feeding the hungry and healing the sick. The number one action verb was preaching the gospel. And the disciples didn't get that. Here was an opportunity, folks, for 5,000-plus women and children to be preached to and to hear the gospel. And the disciples were saying, look, it's too hard. Send them away. And they didn't understand that Jesus wanted to give them needs. It's very interesting. We don't have time to turn there this morning, but in John 6, 27 through 35, I'll just read two verses. Jesus said to the disciples, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth into everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. Jesus is wanting the disciples to get their eyes on the real needs of people and to understand that though there is a place for meeting physical needs, the real issue is to give them the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ. We just had a wonderful time out in in Colorado, out there in a missions conference at Tri-City. Dr. Sinclair and I teamed up on two Sundays, and... uh, My son is the assistant pastor there, and one of the ministries he's in charge of is the food bank that their church runs. And, you know, I have have a lot of hesitation about food banks because usually they just become social entities and that's all. But I was so blessed. I went out and I worked the food bank, and they have it all organized, and they fed that day more than a couple of thousand people, but every one of those people that came through they had to have a gospel presentation. And I went from car to car while they were lined up waiting, and I was able to give the gospel to people, and I was able to encourage people, I was able to pray with Christians, and it was such a wonderful ministry, and that church puts themselves out like you will never believe, because they know that feeding through the food bank is just an opportunity to help people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I've said to Pastor Sin and to Nathan, if you ever allow this to degenerate into just a social cause, then shut it down. But if you can, keep it going because Jesus wants us to reach people who are sheep without a shepherd. So the disciples failed to see the opportunity. Jesus did the miracle of deity. And what an amazing thing. Jesus fed 5,000 plus women and children. That's hard for lost people to believe. As a matter of fact, it's hard for some religious people to believe. I read the true story of a Roman Catholic priest who was giving his flock a discourse on this text, 
And he presented that Jesus, with five loaves and two fish, fed 500 people. And at the end, one of the altar boys came to him and said, Priest, you misquoted the scripture. It was 5,000 people. And the priest said to the boy, Fool, shut up. People have a hard enough time believing he could do it for 500. They don't think he could do it for 5,000. Folks, that's unbelief. Folks, Jesus is able to do anything, and he's able to do everything because he is the bread of life. And so there are people today who are hungering spiritually, and they're lost, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. What are you doing to give them the bread of life? It may involve some effort in the church like a food bank. But the most important need is the spiritual need because Jesus, what he saw and what he gave was the gospel. He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. But then notice the second movement this morning. In seeing man's hunger, he gave them provision. In seeing man's helplessness, he gave his presence. And that begins in verse 45. We're now with the disciples. And straightway he constrained the disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. So Jesus has fed the 5,000. They've preached the gospel to them. He disperses them. The disciples, at the command of Christ, get into a boat, and they're now sailing across the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes into the mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and Jesus alone on the land. And he saw them. What he saw? Jesus saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, and walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Here Christ saw man's helplessness, and he gave his presence. Now, the word constrained that is used in our text in the English is a very strong word. Christ commanded them to go into the boat. So going into the boat was the will of God. And yet in the will of God, they encountered a storm. You know, so many times we think that if we have storms in our life, we must be out of the will of God. But folks, in reality, Jesus often leads us into circumstances in his will where there are storms so he can prove that he is the God of the storm and that he can bring us peace. So here they were, they were helpless, and they were out there rowing, and they were toiling, and those are all words of excruciating, agonizing suffering. And notice what happened here. It says that Jesus, verse 48, saw them toiling, and then in the fourth watch of the night he cometh to them. Now Bible commentators are agreed that from the time Jesus saw them, until the time he came to them was several hours. Now, there are ways to calculate, of course, the fourth watch of the night according to Judaism, and the implication of the sun setting and sending them out, Jesus being in prayer. 
you know, so the Bible scholars are convinced, wiser people than me, that Jesus saw them, but he didn't immediately go to help them. Have you ever been in a storm and you wondered if Jesus saw you in that storm? And you cry out to him and he doesn't seem to be there. That's what happened to the disciples. So why would Jesus see them, but for a period of hours not show up and calm the sea? Can I paint a picture of what may have happened there? These guys are fishermen. They're on a boat. They're used to boats. They're experts. And the sea gets very stormy and tossed. They can handle it. It gets a little worse, and okay, we can still handle it. And then it gets really bad, and they think, well, I think we can handle it, but maybe we can't. And then it gets really bad, and they cry out for Jesus. And that's so often the way our storms are. We have a financial storm or a personal relationship storm, and and we think we can handle it, and so we don't really cry out to the Lord. Jesus, I believe, was waiting for them to recognize that they needed him. Now, they needed him from the beginning. But apparently it took them a while to recognize they needed him. Are you in a storm this morning? Is there something going on in your life that is far beyond your control and it hasn't even crossed your mind to cry out to Jesus? If so, you're just like these disciples. But finally they cried out and the Lord came and he gave them peace. He said, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now folks, let's make the application to missions. There is a world of helpless people out there. They are in storms. Their lives are in turmoil. You can see it on their faces when you meet them at the restaurant. You can see it on the faces of your coworkers who are unsafe. And they are helpless, and they don't even know that they need him. So what is our responsibility? We take Jesus to them. We give them Christ, the bread of life. We give them Christ, who is the calmer of the storms. We take Christ to them because the real need is not for their storm to be calmed. Their real need is to know Jesus Christ who has the ability to meet every need. So in seeing man's hunger, Jesus gave his provision. In seeing man's helplessness, he gave his presence. And then verse 53 through the end of the chapter, in seeing man's hopelessness, he gave his power. Look at verse 53. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they had come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. The people knew who Jesus was. He was there. He was on the ship with the disciples. And the people ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard that where he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. So in seeing man's hopelessness, he gave his power. They touched his garment, and power flowed out of him. You remember the story of Jairus' daughter? Jesus was there in Capernaum, and he was walking in those very narrow streets in Capernaum, and he was headed to the house of Jairus because the message had come that she was sick, And while he was passing through, a woman who had an issue of blood, she was hemorrhaging for years, and the doctors could do nothing. She came and touched the hem of his garment without him knowing it, and he stopped the crowd, and he said, what? 
power or virtue has gone out of me. In this same way, when Jesus healed people, the power of God went out of him. And the touching of the garment is an illustration of that same analogy with the woman who had the issue of blood. When Jesus saw people in their hopelessness, in their sickness, in their dying condition, he gave his power. And we are to take the power of Christ to those who are in hopeless situations. You know, there are lots of hurting people in this world. They may not readily admit it, but they are hurting. Now, we understand people are hurting physically. We, we all have our physical ailments to some degree, and we understand that part of our fallen humanity. But remember the context of this passage. Jesus, by his own compassion, is making the spiritual needs the focus rather than the physical. So thinking about hopelessness this morning, consider a family going through the trauma of an announced separation or divorce. One day the children and the family think everything is fine, and the next day their world is turned upside down. There's no hope. Consider a boy whose dad comes in late at night. He's drunk and fighting. And the boy has no stability, no encouragement, and no hope for the future. You know, my mother grew up in a drunkard's home. My grandfather, who eventually came to Christ, I've shared this story with the church in the past, but my grandfather was a fall-down town drunk until he was about 65 years of age. My mother grew up in a drunkard's home. She had no mother. Her mother had died of cancer when she was six years old. They were the poorest people in a very poor mining town in southwest Virginia. My mother told the story at the age of 10 of having to steal a chicken from a neighbor so that her siblings could have something to eat for Christmas Day because her dad was off on a drunk. She also told stories just to the immediate family, and I can say this, she's in heaven now. The whole Everybody's in heaven that this affects. But her father, in his drunken stupor, would abuse the girls. And they had no power to do anything against the man that they loved with all their hearts, their only parent, when he would come in a drunken state and abuse them. Folks, there is a hurting world out there that needs the Savior who is able to come and for people to touch the hem of his garment spiritually and be healed. And we have the gospel. We have the truth. We hold the deliverance in our very hands. But what are we doing to get the gospel to those hopeless people who live in our neighborhoods? Are we moved with compassion? Consider a young woman who thinks she has lost everything worth living for because of the folly of her no longer being a virgin. She needs to realize there is forgiveness in Christ if she will simply repent and look to the Lord. Folks, there are people everywhere that are hurting, and we as Christians should follow the example of the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he was moved with compassion because he saw lost people with all of their filth and all of their baggage as sheep having no shepherd. And he wanted to be their shepherd. Now before we close, and our time's almost gone, I want you to see in verse 60, 56 that healing power flowed out of Jesus. 
they touched him and they were made whole. Now, let me make it very clear theologically, the touch was not what made them whole. You understand that they were not healed by their touch, but they were healed by the one whom they touched. Can I put it in a theological context? We often hear people say that you're saved by faith. And folks, that is not true. You are not saved by faith. You are saved by grace through faith. And there's a big difference. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If faith itself could save, then Catholics would be saved because they have faith in their works. Mormons would be saved because they have faith in the teaching of Joseph Smith. There are people who have faith in their idols, the the pagan worshipers of of northern Europe who, who are the Druids. They have faith in their demons and their idolatry. Folks, faith itself doesn't save. It's the object of the faith, whether or not it has the power of save, to save. Folks, works can't save you. Human effort can't save you. A religious leader can't save you. A totem pole can't save you. It is only Jesus, who is the God of eternity, who came to seek and to save the lost. Only Jesus saves. So the one who imparts grace in response to faith has to be great enough to save, and Jesus is never a disappointment. So in closing, unsaved friend, let me point out that Jesus alone can address your human needs. He has the ability to provide your needs for your food, your clothing, whatever, to calm your storm, to heal your diseases. He has the power to do that. But the number one thing he has the power and the purpose to do is to save you from your eternal sins. Because as he said in John chapter 6, don't seek that which is temporal. Seek that which is eternal. So if you do not know Christ today as your Savior, the issue is not that you're hungry, though we'd be glad to take you to lunch. The issue is not that you're in the middle of the storm, though we would be glad to give you counsel. The issue is not your disease, though we would be glad to recommend you to a good doctor. The issue is you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You need to be born again. Christ wants you to become one of his sheep. But Christian, what about you? Are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him in ministry to others? Are you desiring to send away the multitudes? I mean, people that God brings across your path every day, co-workers and and people in your community, and you see them, but you're just too busy to have compassion on them. How unlike our Lord we are. Are you desiring to send away the multitude? Or are you willing to have compassion on them? Will you give them Jesus? So let me ask Christian in closing, what moves you to compassion? Perhaps it's hungry children in Kenya. But what about your spiritually hungry neighbors? Does that move you to compassion? Perhaps you're moved by the helpless sinners in Korea that we saw, this this gentleman that that our brother showed us he's been having Bible study with, and our heart was touched, this man needs to be saved. But what about your helpless, spiritually lost co-workers? Do you have any room for compassion for them? Perhaps you have compassion on hurting souls in any missionary presentation this week. That's a noble thing. 
but what about hurting souls in your own mission field? Will you have compassion? You see, it's easy to romanticize compassion over there, but that doesn't really cost us anything except an offering. God wants us to have true ministry here by having compassion on lost souls all around us. Let's bow our heads together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor is going to come and conduct the invitation. Dear friend, those of you that have been here while we were here at Calvary know that we love you. And I'm preaching to Bud Stedman this morning. I, I need greater compassion. It's so easy for me to send people away. I had a struggle this week with what I'm preaching to you this morning. I was at Crooked Creek Baptist Church this last week in Athens, Georgia, doing a missions conference. I got out of the car uh, to go into the church. We were getting ready for the evening meal. We were getting ready for the missions conference service, and I noticed a car parked up by the side of the road that wasn't one of the church members. It was a sheriff's deputy. And the Spirit of God said to me, not in audible words, but really impressed me, I need to go talk to him, give him a bottle of water, and give him a gospel tract and let him know that the folks at Crooked Creek Baptist Church love his soul. And you know what I immediately thought? My, my flesh rose up and said, yeah, you really need to get into the church. You need, you need to get inside, get ready for the meal, get ready for the service. And I had a battle in that parking lot against the Spirit of God telling me. So I, the Spirit of God won. I got a bottle of water out of my car, got a gospel tract. I went up knocked on his door. He was the nicest fellow. I said, would you like some water? Oh, yes, I'd really appreciate it. And then I got to share briefly Christ with him and that the good folks at Crooked Creek, where he was parked looking for speeders, loved his soul. Folks, why do I have a battle with that kind of situation? Because my flesh is rotten, and I struggle with compassion. So may the Lord help me today to have the compassion. May I see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Pastor, will you come? With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet? I've asked Stephanie if she would play hymn of invitation. And as she plays, if God has touched your heart this morning about someone you know or a failure in an action this week that you need to ask the Lord forgiveness for instead of showing compassion, We'd love for you to come and have an opportunity to pray. The Lord leads up here at the front or right where you are. Taking a time of invitation, it's an opportunity for you before we dismiss to go to the Lord and allow Him to work in your heart, make a decision, seek forgiveness. Asking Him to give you that compassion on your coworker, your neighbor, third verse says take my lips and let them be filled with praises Lord to thee take my silver take my gold not a mite would I withhold she's going to play through one more time
Let's sing that first verse together. It'd be, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my life. Thank you for your attention today. Thank you, Dr. Stedman, for that message of compassion. Come back this evening at 6 o'clock for our evening service and plan to come uh, some during the week. If, if the Lord would give you an opportunity, you're going to have to plan a little ahead, uh, maybe supper and plan something and change of clothes or so and to come uh, from work, but to be here at 7 o'clock uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and be a part. And if there's an opportunity to be to come during the day at some of the testimony times that are mentioned in the packet. Uh, we'd love to see you. And uh, pray about what you can give towards the missions offering this week with the Mission Project Fund. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, I'd like to have the missionaries as they maybe would make their way out into the auditorium, uh, into the lobby here uh, around their table so that you can greet them on the way out. Father, thank you for this time that we have to be able to be here and uh, for the message this morning, uh, Lord, our, our motivation of our compassion for those around us. Uh, thank you for uh, the, the, the out, uh, outreach that we are able to be a part of. And Lord, would we constantly can look for opportunities to um, share Christ with those around us and uh, show love in action. Uh, Lord, pray that you would be with this conference this week. Each missionary and meeting, the service this evening, and uh, Brother Piper and his, um, his update to us, the message tonight. Uh, bless these who have come today. Uh, keep us safe this afternoon, and if you, Terry, you're coming, we'll be back safely here this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.